0: hello and welcome to the so you want to be a marine biologist podcast where we learn about the ocean share sea stories and explore ocean careers i'm your host Kara Musia. let's dive into today's episode hello mermaids pirates ocean lovers and land lovers welcome to today's show before we get into today's show, I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Sabrina for becoming the latest patron over at Patreon.com. If you are interested in helping to keep the Ocean-tastic episodes coming, head on over to Patreon.com slash MarineBioLife and subscribe today. For less than a dive tank refill or a cup of coffee, you too can become part of the pod. That's Patreon.com slash MarineBioLife, Patreon.com MarineBioLife. Question? Where does a mermaid sleep? A waterbed. Where do mermaids see movies? At the dive in. My guest today is the mermaid of Hilton Head Island, Nina Leopold. Growing up in landlocked Pennsylvania, Nina didn't know she wanted to become a mermaid. In fact, she wanted to train dolphins. After a pivotal internship with a very special dolphin, Nina realized that it wasn't her dream anymore. In fact, her dream became quite the opposite. In today's conversation, Nina shares the special dolphin that changed her life, why conservation is so important, and how she created and became the mermaid of Hilton Head Island. Please enjoy Nina, welcome to the So You want to be a Marine Biologist podcast. I'm really, really excited to chat with you today.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: of course. So I feel like when people want to become a marine biologist or ocean conservation, a lot of them, especially you know us girls want to be they visualize they're a mermaid, right? They love the ocean. They love to swim in the water. And that's actually what you do. And that's super fun. And I'm really excited to dive more into that. But you kind of had a really interesting lead up to becoming the mermaid of Hilton Head Island. And that was with dolphin training, which is another really big dream job. So could you explain a little bit about your history with dolphin training and that pivotal internship that you had with Lily?
1: Uh, Yes. So I actually... Never wanted to be a mermaid. <laughs> uh, the, the whole mermaid thing was never on my radar. I always wanted to be a dolphin trainer, and I was kind of obsessed with not with dolphins themselves, but with their brains. They're super smart. So I wanted to just understand them better and training them, you get to know them at a different level. So I, was, I that was what I really, really wanted to do. I went to school. I, I studied psychology with the idea that animal behavior would help me. Be a better dolphin trainer. Uh, and it has been very useful. However, once I started training dolphins, it did not take me very long to realize and understand that it's not fair to the dolphins. Because you do understand how intelligent they are and you do get to know them on another level. And when you see the things that they do, they're not doing anything that wild dolphins do. Uh, there's a lot of depression. I got to see behind the scenes their blood work. They had elevated cortisol levels, and humans aren't intelligent enough to communicate with dolphins. However, I feel like the the body of the dolphin was kind of giving me these red flags so the the elevated cortisol levels was a big one for me. But when you start seeing things and putting things together, you just don't feel right. I didn't feel right in that career. I didn't feel like that was really the place for me, which was kind of a total bummer because that was what I spent my entire life dreaming of <laughs> <laughs> so uh I had to turn that around a little bit, and I left the industry altogether, and I was a little bit lost for a while because what do you do when all you've ever wanted to do was train dolphins so Rick he's my husband, and i we we were in Pennsylvania, that's where I was born and raised. And then we moved down to Hilton Head after a family vacation. And there are so many wild dolphins here. We have about 170 wild dolphins who live here all year round. And we have around 400 who vacation here. So it's a pretty exciting place for me. Because you get to see them in their natural environment. And you get to see them exhibiting natural behaviors, which I'm really interested in. So we moved down here. And I was going to get my captain's license. And I was working towards that. And I was getting hours on a boat as a mate on a dolphin tour. And I noticed that people, when I spoke about, specifically about conservation, because I am a big conservation nerd, people kind of shut down. They didn't want to listen to it. It was super boring to them. My wheels started turning and I tried to think of ways that I could spice it up a bit and make it more interesting to them. Because it is important, especially if you're vacationing Where there's an ocean, you should know some things about how to take care of it. My first idea was we should get uh, an animatronic dolphin to swim up to the boat and talk to them about conservation because they'll listen to a dolphin, right? The dolphin lives in the ocean. Uh, (laughs) I was a vet tech for a while, um, and I was actually a vet tech part-time, and I was the mate part-time. I wasn't like rolling in the dough, so we couldn't... Afford an animatronic dolphin who could swim and talk?
0: <laughs> just, just a pause. Do they exist, or were you like going to start from scratch and like have to like mod, like prototype it?
1: There is an animatronic dolphin out there that swims. I, I don't okay. know that there's one that actually talks, but I was going to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but, but the one that swims is super realistic, and they're actually using them. They're starting to implement them in uh, swim programs, so you can swim with a dolphin, but it's not a real dolphin. Oh, okay. it's actually, very interesting.
0: But yeah, I can't
1: I cannot afford one of those that's like in the millions, I think. <laughs> so my budget wouldn't allow for that. <laughs> so then I had the idea, what if I was swimming in the water? Because that's much cheaper than an animatronic dolphin. So what if I'm swimming in the water, but why is there a person swimming in the water? That's kind of dumb. Then we came up with the idea that I could be a mermaid educating these people. And that's what we've been doing ever since. And it's been very effective.
0: That's really, really cool. I wanted you to touch a little bit on because you had a you had a special relationship with a specific dolphin named Lily at the at your internship. Could you kind of explain like what what you and Lily did and kind of how it like changed your perspective on your job your career change? Because, you know, a lot of people they like, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to do, and they get into a job and they realize this is not it. And I think that's really powerful moment right and it's kind of um it, it kind of is like baseline shifting for you and a little bit scary I'm sure because this is what you wanted to do and it's a big moment of like okay now what so you go from Lily to mermaid tail can you tell a little bit about Lily's story uh, absolutely
1: her story is the reason we're here yep I wouldn't be here without her so when I started training dolphins I was put with Lily for my very first program and I was very not excited about it because she was a four-year-old dolphin. She was a younger one and she wasn't very experienced. And I have a horrible memory, like the worst memory ever, super bad memory. And so I was super nervous that I was going to forget something and I'd be with this four-year-old dolphin who also doesn't know what she's doing. And so I was super nervous about it. And I get in the water with the dolphin and I have my guests with me. I think there were like five or six guests. I don't I don't remember exactly, but that's about average for a program. And I totally forgot. I was going through the what makes a dolphin a mammal, you know, and I was going through the five things. And then I totally forgot the hair. And I was so mad at myself. And, you know, when you forget, you start you start freaking out a little bit. <laughs> and so Lily... Knew what was going on. She saw what was happening, and she just took over. She came over, and she sprayed water on one of the guests, and like made him laugh. It was it was a little boy. Then I could talk about. I started talking about like the blue hole, you know, and things. And then then I finally remembered about the hair. But she kind of took the pressure off of me a little bit, and I was it was cool that she saw what was going on and came up with a solution. Mm -hmm. because for her to, I mean, she's intelligent enough to know that. And even though she's four years old, she kind of took over and helped me a little bit, which was, I I appreciated that a lot. (laughs) Um, I knew they were smart already, but that was the first moment I realized how smart they are. Like when you think of a four-year-old human child, uh, you don't think of them being able to do that. But for her to be four and to be able to step in like that, and then, from that point on, I was put with Lily all the time because Lily and I just did really well together and we we worked together all the time and she could read me and it was super kind of creepy uh, mm-hmm. the way she could do it because there there was one day I was told uh, I got news prior to going into work that day that my grandpa had a heart attack mm-hmm. and he was in the hospital, and so I was really you know. When you get news like that, you get kind of you're not on top of your game. Mm-mm. And she knew that. and I was sitting on the dock, just kind of in the in my own world, uh, not paying attention to anything that was going on. And she came up and she put her head on my knees.
0: Mm. And it was
1: just the cutest thing and she knew and she, like we had really good eye contact and so Lily was my she was my special girl. And before I left, after I realized, and it was actually her blood work that kind of put me over the edge, that was the time when I realized that I can't do this because it wasn't just any dolphin, it was Lily who had elevated cortisol levels. So, as happy as she seems, and as much as she's my rock, she's pretty stressed out herself. Mm-hmm. So, before I left, I promised her that I would get her out of that situation. And that's what I'm working towards now.
0: That's really powerful. It's a great story. Thank you for sharing Lily's story. So I love that you got so creative with this. You know, you got on the boat and you're trying to talk to people and you, like Lily, had that intuitive sense of like, you know, people may or may not be uh, paying attention to what you're doing. So you you paid attention to that, though, and, and kind of saw that and kind of created your own way of getting through to people. I mean, how do you become a mermaid? You, can you order these tails online? Do you have to practice lots with them before you had your first tour?
1: I was I was very nervous the first time I swam with a tail because it's 30 pounds. Oh. It's neutrally buoyant, but I was super nervous about that. But I just got in the water. I'm a strong swimmer, right? I have my scuba certification. and I'm a free diver, so I didn't feel like it would be an issue. So I got in the water with this thing, and I was fine. I, I started in a pool. I just practiced one day in a pool and it was fine. Swimming with it was it was actually easier than swimming with legs. Uh, I joke around now, but I'm it's also very serious. I can't swim very well with legs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it was super easy to swim with with a tail. But then when we went into the ocean, It was a little bit more challenging. Uh, The current Mm -hmm. here is super strong. We get a six to 10 foot tide change every six hours. So the current is very strong Mm -hmm. here. And the first time I went in the water, I'm glad I had the tail on because I think I would have been lost. I think I would have been sucked out to sea if I had legs. Uh, Oh man. It was so strong. I could not get back to the boat. Then we had to regroup again because we can't, do this, you know. That's not a realistic thing for us to do. So we had to actually mm-hmm. go around Hilton Head in a boat and find a spot where the current wasn't as bad. Mm-hmm. So now we have we have a special spot where the current isn't as bad where I can actually keep up with it. But it's it's very strong.
0: Yeah, six to ten foot tidal change is huge. I didn't realize yeah. it was so drastic it's, there.
1: It's and then working working around the tide changes too is challenging for our business because the spot where i swim it gets so low at low tide the boat can't fit back there
0: Mm.
1: so i'm back there and i'm fine uh but the boat has a hard time because the boat is it's a 42 foot boat so it has a hard time fitting back there at low tide so we have to go through the schedule that's actually something rick is doing right now that's our january project we have to go through the schedule and take off any low tide tours
0: Mm. so that we're not
1: during low tide.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that's like a buffer, too. It's not just like low tides at three o'clock, so we can't go out at three. It's like three hours before or after three o'clock. We can't go.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's an hour before or after. Yes. OK, it's yeah, it gets pretty low. And especially when there's a full moon or a new moon, it's it's drastic.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. That definitely adds another layer to it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's there, really there fun are though.
1: so many challenges trying to make this work. <laughs>
0: But you overcame them, right? We did, yes, we did. And then, okay, I can't have an animatronic dolphin. What's next? (laughs) I will put a tail on. Okay, well, I can't just jump in at this spot because I'm going to get ripped out to sea. So what's next? And then you found your new spot. So that's really, I love that you just kind of like kept working at it and creating this thing that, you know, was built of challenges, which I think most worthwhile things are.
1: It's funny you say that because we kept telling ourselves that through the whole process. We were like, if it's worthwhile, it's gonna be problems. So that's how we got through it. We just kept telling ourselves it's gonna be worth it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about the tour. Like you get on the boat and you're driving to go find Mermaid Nina. And what does Mermaid Nina say or kind of little little bit of the experience on the boat tour?
1: So yeah, it's actually based on one of my children's books, The Mermaid's Friends. And so we have characters. So the first mate and the captain, they're both characters. Um, Pinky Plankton is the first mate, and she's Mermaid Nina's best friend. So you get onto the boat, and Pinky Plankton takes you through this whole... uh, She tells you the story about Lily, and she tells you, you know, the story about how she met Mermaid Nina and how we're going to go out and find her. They talk about sea turtles. They talk about dolphins. I would say on 90 to 95% of the tours they find dolphins. So then they always stop and you know hang out with them for a while. Mm -hmm. And then once they find me, I swim up to the boat and I quiz them. So Pinky Plankton Mm -hmm. tells them before they get to me that I'm gonna quiz them so that they can become ocean ambassadors and earn their badges. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then I quiz them on I quiz them on things like sand dollars and starfish, like local issues that we have here because a lot of people take sand dollars here and it's very frustrating to the locals and then we talk about sea turtle etiquette
0: (laughs) let's back up one second before we get to sea turtles because we have the same we have sea turtles here as well and we have probably very similar etiquette issues Um, but with sand dollars what people don't realize is that they're alive yes
1: (laughs) So people think that they're just seashells and um, they have fur and they move. So I don't know how people don't know that they're alive, but somehow people just like to stay in denial, I guess, and say that they're seashells. And so they take them by the buckets fulls here. Uh, It's crazy Mm. how many sand dollars get taken. And they take starfish. Uh, They take really anything they can find off the beaches. And it's very, very frustrating, especially for someone who loves the ocean and understands mm-hmm. biodiversity. Actually, my very first children's book was Sammy the Sand Dollar. Mm-hmm. And that was my first attempt to try to get people to stop slaughtering our sand dollars. <laughs> um, and that was actually very effective. That, that book sold, I sold a lot of those, and people would reach out and tell me that that really helped them because they didn't know. So still, there are so many people who just don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that, that book has helped a lot. And then this year we're actually adding something to the tour. Sammy the Sandollar, who's in the first book, he is being brought to life on the tour. So he's going to be on a TV animated interacting with Pinky Plankton on on the tour now for 2021. So we're excited about that. So that and that kind of just drives home the point that sand dollars are alive and he has quite a personality.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. I love it. So, you have same the sand dollar. So, Mermaid Nina quizzes on sand dollar etiquette as well as sea turtle. So, let's chat a little bit about sea turtle etiquette.
1: So, the sea turtle problems that we have here are lights are a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning your lights off at night. A lot of people don't understand that. Even the mama sea turtles, when they're coming onto land, if they see lights on, they'll be deterred. People Mm -hmm. think it's just for the babies, but it's also for the mom turtles. Mm -hmm. And then the baby sea turtles, I think flashlights are a big problem on the beach because people like to go find the sea turtles at night. That's a big Mm -hmm. thing here too. People like camp out next to the nests and try to watch for them to hatch. And I think flashlights, Mm -hmm. people don't think of that as a light. So it's a, that's a problem. Uh, but then we also have the people with all the money who live next to the beaches who Mm -hmm. refuse to turn their lights off because they feel like we're trying to dictate what they do in their own house. And that is very frustrating because we're not, we're just trying to save sea turtles. Right. So we talk about lights out and then hole digging is a huge problem here. And I get, and I make it fun when I talk about it with the kids. I don't lecture, right? (laughs) Right. I say, you know, digging holes is super fun and you can dig holes, but just fill them in before you leave the beach because those baby sea turtles can get stuck in there. And I had so many kids that reach out all the time telling me that they fill in their holes. Now they'll take pictures of the kids filling in the holes and send them to me. So cute. it is, it is effective. And then after the sea turtles, we talk about coral. Mm -hmm. And coral is something that I've learned that nobody understands. Uh, (laughs) Coral is just a big mystery to people. They think it's Mm -hmm. a plant. I don't know how the normal human brain perceives coral, but I think they just kind of think it's like a, you know, like a tree. It's kind of there. So we talk about sunscreen and how sunscreen affects coral. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, that's where I educate most adults because a lot of adults didn't know that either. Uh, and they mm-hmm. all find it they find it very interesting. Those are the things we cover and then once I'm done with the quiz, then the kids get to ask their questions and their questions are always very fun.
0: Oh, I bet I bet <laughs> what's one or two of your favorites that you get asked or that you've gotten asked?
1: That's tough because they're all so good. Uh, <laughs> do I ever ride the dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> um and then sharks everybody's very interested about sharks and I have a shark who hangs out with me a lot and her name's Ethel and she's a five foot black tip shark and she'll swim behind me sometimes on the tours and at low tide you can see her because she has you know she has less less water to hide but they they always you know nobody knows how to take sharks they always think that they're so scary and when I'm swimming with Ethel and I'm not afraid of Ethel I think that's that's important for kids to see mm-hmm. because they think that I should be losing my mind and trying to get up on the boat because I'm going to die. And then when <laughs> I sit around and, oh, it's just Ethel. She's one of my best friend sharks. <laughs> uh, so then the kids understand then that sharks aren't monsters. And I think that's really important, too, because sharks are very easily perceived as monsters.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really fun, though. (laughs) You have a best friend shark, Ethel, that actually comes on tour with you.
1: Yeah, she's she's pretty cute. She makes appearances uh, actually quite often.
0: I think she probably likes the the publicity, huh? I
1: guess so. I mean, most sharks seem to avoid it, but uh, Ethel has a has a different opinion.
0: (laughs) That's so fun. So when you're writing Sammy the Sand Dollar, were you already Mermaid Nina? Or was this before
1: this was before this was in the time when I was struggling to figure out how to educate these people in a fun way. Okay. That the children's book is what I came up with and it was effective, but it wasn't, I, I need to reach a lot of people mm-hmm. and uh, one children's book is not the way to do it. A mermaid mm. tour though is the way to do it. And I, I'm not trying to reach the people who are interested in learning about conservation because they're already doing the right things. I'm trying to reach the people who are here and have no idea about what conservation is or what they should be doing to protect the ocean.
0: Yes. That's a really powerful observation, actually, because, yeah, the people that pick up Sammy the Sand Dollar are probably, if not already interested in conservation, kind of have an inkling Mm -hmm. about it and would be pretty receptive to it. Versus somebody that comes out on a tour, they, you know, it's a fun family vacation thing with the mermaid involved. And then you can, and they're pretty open, but not necessarily seeking out the conservation message.
1: Right. It's kind of like a trick. Or, or, yeah.
0: <laughs> Come on a mermaid tour. I will give you all the conservation. information.
1: <laughs> that's, that's what I feel like it is sometimes, but, <laughs> but we make it fun. So they don't even realize.
0: That's good. I mean that's that's the best way to learn, right? About anything.
1: Yeah, and kids, kids remember stuff. Like we've had kids that come back year after year and they they remember like I changed my questions, but they remember the stuff from the year before or two years before. So it's
0: pretty it's pretty cool to see that. Yeah, that's super fun. <laughs> so so you wrote Sammy the Sand Dollar and you actually illustrated it too. I think that was I mean I think it's impressive that you wrote your own children's book, but then you also illustrated it. That was impressive. What was it like trying to get that published? Was that a fairly straightforward process for you?
1: Oh, I know. (laughs) 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 So publishing books is... I'm not a book publisher. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, you always have the option to self-publish or you have the option Mm -hmm. to get picked up by a publisher. So obviously... I would rather get picked up by a publisher just because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I applied to all of these publishers and you get rejected a lot because that's what happens. And each rejection is one step closer to success, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got rejected so many times. And then I found this publisher in Charleston and they were super excited about the book they published it they were really great and then they sold the company to some people from overseas so I could no longer work with them which was super sad because I liked them so so much so now Rick and I have become book publishers <laughs> and I can't say that it's going smooth uh, <laughs> it's it's quite challenging so what we what we're trying to do is get the books hardcover and it's very challenging, but it's, it's actually one of our projects for January and February is to get this done so that we have them for the season.
0: But I, I wouldn't
1: recommend it if you, if you like being happy or don't, <laughs> or don't like stress because it's very stressful.
0: <laughs> trying to get all the pieces together to publish a book.
1: Yes. It's the, the file sizes keep changing. It's just a lot of, it's, it's a lot.
0: Mm. Well, each challenge, if it was easy, it, it wouldn't, everybody would do it, right? Yeah. Keep it with the same mantra. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. That's what we keep telling ourselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really awesome though. I think that's really cool that you guys are doing that and really persisting with that. And you have quite a few books. I mean, you have six books. Is that right? mermaid of hilton head island sammy the sand dollar you have a christmas carol mermaid of hilton head uh tale of tales dolphin adventure and the coloring book
1: yes yes that's correct
0: that's amazing I mean, is January, February, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you said January, February, there's no tours because it's too cold in South Carolina and there just aren't enough people to around because it's not season. Right. So is that primarily when you're writing your books and trying to get your messages out?
1: Yes, that's when we focus on the retail and the books. This year I'm not publishing any new books because I'm trying to get these books published uh, and it's, it's more time consuming than what I could have ever imagined. So, I'm not publishing a new book this year, but yes, typically January and February are when I work on publishing a new book.
0: Awesome. Tell me a little bit about either Dolphin Adventure or Tale of Tales. These are such fun books.
1: Well, all of my books have some sort of message behind them and Mm -hmm. some sort of takeaway and something that you can do to help the oceans. So, Tale of Tales is about litter Mm. and about how we need to clean up our beaches and if we see trash pick it up dolphin adventures is about why it's important to not feed dolphins we have that's a huge problem here as well uh people see the dolphins they get excited to see them up close and then they feed them because I guess they feel like that is how they need to see them closer Uh, Mm. and we have several dolphins in our pod that are chronic beggars they just They'll swim up to boats with their mouths open and beg. We have Mm. dolphins who have severe injuries uh, from begging. They have, we have two dolphins that don't have dorsal fins at all.
0: Because of boat propellers.
1: They associate them with food. And I'm out on the water all the time and I see it all the time and it's very frustrating.
0: Yeah, I could understand that. Absolutely. Well, let's chat a little bit about your dolphin pod. I mean, you said you had hundred over a hundred local dolphins and then you have 400 visitors are you out in the boat kind of cataloging I know one of the best ways to tell individual dolphins is by their dorsal fins that's kind of like a thumbprint or a fingerprint they're all individual do you go out and help catalog them or how do you become close with these dolphins so
1: I don't ever have my phone with me because I'm I literally live in the water all day. <laughs> I, so I don't have I don't have a phone or any way to uh, take pictures of them. and I know people always think I'm joking when I say that, but I really am living in the water all day. but I do have my my staff, my my mates and my captains they do they'll get pictures of the dolphins mm-hmm. and I, I always tell them to try to get a good dorsal fin picture and I do keep all of the dorsal fin pictures and I put them together. I actually just did that I put them together to to try to educate people. And it's going to be on our social media in, I think, two weeks. I'm going to start posting different dorsal fins and how you can tell them apart. And it's Mm -hmm. really interesting because you you get to know them and you see who hangs out with who and the social structures. And it's just, I think it's very interesting. And I guess maybe because I'm interested in the psychology so much, but it it is pretty cool to watch and to get to know Mm -hmm. them because they're not afraid of me at all. They'll come right up and hang out. And it's just, it is really cool to see them in their natural environment. And so close that you're able to see who's who. I actually started to learn some signature whistles, which is pretty cool. Oh,
0: so um, you can kind of communicate with them. Do you know what you're saying?
1: Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't whistle.
0: <laughs> oh, you know, their whistles. Yeah, I gotcha. I've learned,
1: I've learned some of theirs. So I'm able to I don't know if you know, Hilton had the water visibility in Hilton Head is zero. Uh, You can't see. Yeah. So when I'm underwater, I can actually sometimes on some dolphins, I can tell who is who just based on their whistles, which is pretty cool.
0: That is really cool. You really are one with the dolphins. That's really special.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's something I don't ever take for granted.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I think that's a lot of people's dream, right? Like, They say they want to study dolphins or train dolphins, but really they just want to be with the dolphins because they're amazing. And and that's what you're doing.
1: And it is. It's really awesome. But it's it's a lot of hard work goes into it. It's not just swimming with dolphins every day.
0: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes. I mean, you have a captain and a crew and boat and all of that requires a lot of coordination and maintenance, I'm sure. And then to be a mermaid in the water all day, I mean human bodies, as much as like we are adapted to be in the water, we're also not meant to be submerged for long periods of time either. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, the prep work that goes into being a mermaid?
1: Yeah, so I train year round Mm -hmm. to be able to stay out there all day. And it did happen gradually, because, you know, when you first start a mermaid tour, there's nothing like it in the world. Uh, So people didn't understand it at first. So we didn't book a lot of tours the first season. And then the second season, we booked a few more, the third season, a few more. And now I'm just in there all the time. So it did happen gradually. It's not like I was just thrown in the water uh, and I'm there all day.
0: How many years have you been doing this?
1: This is our fourth or fifth year, I believe.
0: Okay. Very cool. So
1: when I first enter the water at the beginning of the season, I never feel like I've trained enough. Mm. Uh so I'm I have really stuffed up my training this, this winter though, so I'm hoping that I'll be more prepared uh in the spring. But also in the mm. spring, we don't have as many tourists. Mm-hmm. So it's still gradual, and then by the time summer gets here, I'm I'm ready. Uh, and mm-hmm. I can't say it's probably not healthy to stay in the water all the time. Um, <laughs> my my hair is beyond help at this point. But I do have, you know, I have people who bring me food. It's not like I starve myself and I have water. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, though. I love it so much.
0: Yeah. So what does your training look like? What is mermaid training truly like? Are you swimming a lot? Are you doing a lot of, I mean, you said you're a free diver. And I would imagine as a mermaid, you need to be underwater a bit. So are you doing practicing breath holds?
1: I do. I practice breath holds a lot. And mostly... I don't even use my breath hold on the tour very often because I'm on the surface talking to everybody. It's mm-hmm. mostly just in case something happens so I don't lose that.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Right
1: now I'm at I can stay under for about two to three minutes, and that yeah. could be a life saving situation if if something would happen, you know. And I'm under mm-hmm. there for a while, so that's kind of why I keep up with that more so than the tour. I don't really use it on the tour, but stamina is a big one because that current and being out there for as long as I am, that can get quite tricky, especially on days when I hate full moons so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> While everybody's in wonder, Mermaid Nina is going, no, the current's <laughs> stronger."
1: <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that really, by the end of the day, on a full moon day, I am very, very tired.
0: Yeah. Mm. I can imagine. I can imagine. Training off season is swimming a lot. Do you swim with the tail? No, no, I don't. Uh, I actually
1: don't enjoy having my tail with me very often because it gets attention that I don't want. Um, I kind of like to go under the radar when I'm not working.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, So I can imagine that would attract a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and I just I would rather just be left alone when I'm training. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, think
0: most people feel that way.
1: But then in in August we have box jellyfish.
0: Oh, you get box jellyfish.
1: You do. How exciting is that?
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, wait. So for listeners, you know, there's some jellies that don't sting, and like some that are okay. Box jellies are do not fall in that category. They're actually um quite powerful. Um, we don't have the species that's super lethal, but it's still not a fun sting. So what do you do about that? It's really rare here. Yeah, it's like we don't we don't see them very often. No,
1: it is not rare in Hilton Head. <laughs> Uh, Mm. We have the four-handed box jelly, and they aren't typically fatal, but if you have some sort of reaction, they could be, Mm -hmm. and the sting is not, it's not a fun, not a fun sting to experience. I actually milked the box jellies this past August and refrigerated the venom, and then over the winter, well, like now, I've been stinging myself just so that I can develop a, a little bit more immunity to their stings should I get stung. Because, like I said, we don't have any visibility, so you you don't see them coming. It's all it's always a surprise.
0: Wow! So, how do you milk a bo- how do you milk, milk a jellyfish? Let's right start there.
1: Right. Okay. So they did this in Australia, and I watched a video on it because how do you milk a box jellyfish? Right? It's weird. What you do is you're supposed to pour alcohol over them. And then they release their venom and then you just collect the venom. Like it just drips, you know, it's not like they mm. spray, you know. Uh, so then you collect the venom and then you preserve it. I had to put it on ice and then mm. I put it in the refrigerator. But the native venom is much more potent than the, the milked venom. So mm-hmm. the milked venom, like I've been stinging myself. I think the last time I stung myself was around Thanksgiving. Um, mm-hmm. It stings, you can feel it, but it's not anywhere near as powerful as the native venom, which is good and probably bad. I don't know how, how effective that is in building up an immunity.
0: How long have you been trying to do this and is it effective? Have there been studies on this that like getting repeatedly stung?
1: There was a study that I read, I forget which university published it, but they said that getting stung multiple times does build up immunity so I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have some sort of evidence that it might work
0: <laughs> of course because um, who actually wants to sting themselves
1: right so so yeah I'm hoping this is my first winter doing this so I'm hoping that it helps
0: we'll see have you gotten stung by box jellies then while you've been in the water yeah I
1: got stung by one And it was just, it just swiped me. It didn't wrap or anything. It was like a super not horrible sting. And it was the worst pain I've ever felt ever. Mm.
0: Mm. I thought it
1: was a, I thought it was some sort of shark because it was so sharp. That's what it felt like. Um, And then afterwards I had to get out of the water because I was really dizzy and lightheaded. I just don't want that to happen ever again. And if it, if it wraps, uh, I would rather have some sort of immunity built up already because that could I could see where that could be bad.
0: Yeah, that's really scary because you, yeah, you can't see them coming.
1: Yeah, and everybody asks me if I'm afraid of sharks and alligators, and it's all about the box jellies for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones you really can't see coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, so speaking of wildlife, what has been wildlife's – you said dolphins kind of come up and interact with you, but what was the first interaction like when you had the tail on? Were they just totally like "hello, person" in the water with the tail? This is fine, or were they kind of checking you out?
1: Um, no, when I first when I first started swimming with the tail, they avoided me. <laughs> uh, they didn't know what this was. They were real sketched out about it. Um, pretty much all the wildlife avoided me except for the manatees. Uh, <laughs> the manatees, the
0: sea cows are like whatever. They
1: don't know what's going on, so. The dolphins were super sketchy about it, and then I had a moment with Stu. So Stu is one of my favorite local dolphins, and he was one of my favorite dolphins when I worked on the dolphin tour as a mate. So he recognized me, and he knew me, and when I had the tail on, he would not come anywhere near me. And I don't (laughs) encourage them. I don't want to ever encourage them to come near me, right, because I don't, that's not good. I had a moment with Stu when I was sitting there and I don't think he knew that I was there cuz it was between tours so I was just waiting. It was lower mm-hmm. t- it was lower tide so I was just sitting in the mud. And he <laughs> came over and he saw me and we made eye contact and he had like a a moment where he was like, "Oh, it's just you." Okay. And then after that he started he was swimming closer. I mean, he d- he doesn't ever come up to you, but he started swimming closer and he was more comfortable around me. So that was good for Stu.
0: Okay. That was kind of the beginning of the dolphins getting a little bit more used to you.
1: Yeah. Stu doesn't really determine what goes on in the pod. Uh, Mm. Nobody really cares about his opinion, but that was the beginning of Stu anyway. Um, (laughs) And then Aquaman, I had an incident with Aquaman two years ago. Yes, so he's, he's going to be, too. So it was about one and a half years ago. It was in the fall. He was born in May, and then mm-hmm. that fall, his mom had some sort of disagreement with other pod members. And I feel like there was a male who was being aggressive towards Aquaman, and she was trying to protect him. But anyway, mm-hmm. Aquaman got separated from the group, and he was kind of on his own for a while. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that he just didn't know what to do. And he attached himself onto me. Oh. Um, he started following me around. And I was horrified that this was <laughs> happening because I'm not a dolphin mom. Uh, I don't I can't take care of him. And I don't want him to interact with me. So I ignored him. And it was so hard because he's so cute. And this went on for about two weeks and i ignored him he would swim next to me during tours i would tell the guests to ignore him and everybody it's so hard because he's so cute and people would squeal and i was like no no noises that sound fun because we're trying to get him to leave us and you know <laughs> telling the guests that they they just want to see a dolphin up close you know they don't,
0: they don't right. they're, they're like <laughs> i don't i don't get this he's right here i'm excited about this like, I'm, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm telling them to act beyond what they're uh, naturally wanting to do. So finally, after about two weeks, he decided that I was pretty boring and he moved on to Nessie, who's an an adult female in the pod. And he's been with Nessie ever since. And it's good to see him and Nessie hang out all the time. Good. He he leaves me alone now.
0: (laughs) He's back in the dolphin world. Yes, where he's supposed to be. (laughs) What a fun story though. You got to be a dolphin mom for 2 weeks in the most responsible way possible.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to ignore him and I like I wasn't making eye contact or anything. It's so hard. It's very difficult, but but we we got him with back in the dolphin world, so that's good.
0: Yeah, that is good. Oh, I can't imagine how hard that would be. <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned a little bit earlier you know, on your when you were in, during your internship, you would kind of go over the five ways that dolphins are mammals and stuff like that, and we kind of just kept on there. So let's bring that back up. We'll do a little biology lesson. Dolphins are mammals because of hair, because they give birth to live young, they breathe air, they have lungs like us, and then what are the other two?
1: They're warm-blooded. They give live birth. They have mammary glands, um, and they breathe air.
0: Okay, and there you go.
1: Yep. Just like us. When they're first born, they have uh, hair along their rostrum that falls out shortly after okay. they're born. So that's why you've never seen a hairy dolphin, but they are born with hair.
0: And their rostrum for listeners is just their nose. It's called a rostrum. Yes. Or what looks like their nose. It's not really a nose because their nose is on top of their head in their blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> Very mm-hmm. cool. So why Hilton Head Island? I mean, you mentioned it gets cold there. There's not great visibility. Like there's a lot of other places you could go. What what inspired you to become the mermaid of Hilton Head specifically?
1: So Hilton Head is very natural. Um, mm-hmm. the, the town itself is, it tries to preserve nature as much as possible, which I really, really like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our dolphin population is very healthy, which I really like. Our turtle population is healthy, which I like. I've traveled places since we've moved to Hilton Head, and I've never found a place that's like Hilton Head. It's just very unique, and I have I have a lot of passion for it and the wildlife that's here.
0: Mm-hmm. It just felt like home.
1: It does, and it, it sounds very strange, and you'll probably never hear anyone else say this, but I like that we don't have any visibility because I'm able to disappear better. <laughs>
0: You kind of pop out of nowhere on your tour and then fade into the abyss. Yeah.
1: And I I like that because then I can just leave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really fun. I, a lot of people have problems with visibility. I mean, myself included, you know, when I'm diving, there's a foot and a half is I'm definitely doing mental games. So that's really special that you're just like, I prefer it.
1: Yeah. Well, I've, I didn't prefer it at the beginning because I'd you know, I wasn't familiar with the area. So I didn't, I ran into a lot of things. Uh, We have oysters here. So oysters are really sharp. And Mm -hmm. I have, I have a lot of scarring from that, from that first year, but that now I've (laughs) kind of learned, I've learned the area better. And I've also learned that the oysters when, when they're underwater, they make a popping noise. Yes. And that popping noise, I've learned how to tune into that. So I know when I'm getting close to oysters, Mm -hmm. But I don't run into any oysters and I haven't run into an oyster in
0: two years, I think. That's impressive. Congratulations on that milestone. Thank you. That's really impressive that you're listening. You listen so much to the underwater world. A lot of people think that it's so quiet and silent. And in some ways it is, right? It's very different sounds from our above world. But you hear dolphins. You can hear them clicking or making their high-pitched whistles. You hear oysters popping. You can probably hear boat motors all day long. So there can be lots of noise underwater.
1: They say when one of your senses isn't working that your other ones are better. Mm -hmm. I can't see anything. So my ears are more... I guess they pay attention better underwater.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Very special. So, a couple questions for you as we wrap up here. One of my very, very favorite questions to ask is What is your favorite field story or stories to tell? And this could just be like a magical day out in the water, or it could just be like, Well, a litany of things went wrong mm-hmm. and now it's a really great story.
1: Oh, my. Okay. I think. I think my favorite is going to have to be the my sea turtle story. So okay. I had a sea turtle. I was talking to the kids actually about sea turtles. And a sea turtle, a, a little one, you know, not a huge sea turtle, probably medium-sized sea turtle, came over and rested on my fluke. <laughs> um, and I was super nervous because I didn't want to uh, hurt him. You know, I didn't want to flick the fluke and hurt him. So I, like, wasn't moving. And it's hard to not move when there's current and you're trying to swim. Uh, mm-hmm. but he stayed there for so long. And I have <sighs> cameras on me all the time, right? Like, all the parents are getting pictures of their kids with the mermaid on every tour. And there wasn't a single camera taking a picture at that moment. And he, oh, he no. was on my tail for so long. And I told them, I said, get a picture of this turtle. <laughs> And no one got a picture of it. I was so sad. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then he finally he finally left. We have a villain who who comes in through the ha- about halfway through the tour, um, mm. and that's tr- to try to educate people about captivity without actually talking about it. So the villain comes over and tries to capture me with the net to put me in a tank. And mm. um, once the villain started coming over, the turtle left. But it was so sad that no one got a picture of that turtle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> magical moment stored in your memory. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was magical, but it just wasn't captured.
0: Oh. <laughs> That's really cool though. Just hanging out on the fluke. I love yeah, that. Yeah,
1: like I guess he thought that was a good place to rest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's awesome. So as as my departure for each episode, I like to leave each member of the audience a, a conservation ask to go forth into the world and do. What would you like the audience to take away from this episode and to go and do?
1: There are so many. Uh, <laughs> well, I would probably say the biggest one that is that has the easiest fix is plastic. Um, mm-hmm. Try to eliminate single-use plastic as much as possible. Uh, When you have an option to purchase something that's plastic or made out of some other material, go for the other material. Just don't use balloons. Balloons don't need to be used, ever. They're not necessary. Don't use balloons. I would also say when you're visiting somewhere, to be aware of what kind of wildlife they have and the proper etiquette for that wildlife. So do your research before you go somewhere. Um, I would also say ocean or reef friendly sunscreen is a big one because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know about that. And 14, I, I believe it's 14,000 tons of sunscreen gets into the ocean every year. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it could make a huge difference if everyone switches over to reef friendly sunscreen. Mm-hmm. And then my really big one is don't buy a ticket to any captivity facility. Especially if you don't know what you're supporting. A lot of these places just, they're not good for the dolphins and we need to really start phasing this out.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a really, really good asks. So I want to back up to a couple of them. Balloons. (laughs) Why are balloons so terrible, Nina?
1: Okay. So balloons, they don't break down, right? They break Mm -hmm. up into tiny pieces called microplastics. Even the ones that are rubber or whatever, silicone, whatever they say they use, uh, they Mm -hmm. still don't break down in the oceans, so they're there all the time. Seed turtles eat jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Balloons look like jellyfish when they're in the water. They don't go mm-hmm. to heaven. They go to the oceans. And a lot mm-hmm. of times they still have the strings attached and then they become an entanglement issue. I'm very mm-hmm. passionate about my hatred towards balloons.
0: I I feel very similarly about balloons and people people feel like i'm raining on their parade and i really don't mean to right i think there's a lot of different creative ways to decorate for parties or to commemorate a loved one and people need to get a little bit more creative but yeah balloons so we have a a local organization here it's a balloons blow and straws suck it's very funny Um, and it's very accurate because when you even if you don't mean to do like the intentional commemorative balloon release for a loved one that has passed um they do blow like I did sea turtle research for a really long time. And on the beach, I would find Mother's Day balloons and Valentine's Day balloons like no tomorrow, just all over the beach. And, you know, people aren't celebrating on the beach. Right. So it's coming from inland and blowing onto the, probably blowing out to ocean and the waves are washing it back up on shore. And those are just the ones that we find, right? I've been 10, 12 miles offshore and found balloons that are just still floating there with their strings hanging and they do become entanglement hazards. So that is a big one. It's It's a really good one
1: and they're never sure. necessary ever.
0: You could plant a tree yes, for
1: somebody. Plant a tree. Yes.
0: <laughs> and um and I liked your point about, you know, educating yourself on wildlife and you know, if you're going somewhere and it may be a quick trip or you just don't have time, whatever reasons you want to provide to yourself for not educating yourself on local wildlife when you're going to, on a vacation, then just try to remember, leave no trace, right? Leave, leave footsteps, take only pictures, You know, don't be picking up buckets of live things, whether it's plants or animals or seashells yeah. that may be alive. Especially
1: public beaches have signs mm-hmm. that kind of give you a rundown on the wildlife that's there. So even if you just take some time
0: to read those signs, that helps. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. It's a really good point too. Very cool. So, if people want to, if listeners want to find you, connect with you, where is the best place to do so?
1: Um, We're on Instagram and Facebook. It's at Mermaid of Hilton Head. And our website is mermaidofhiltonhead.com.
0: Perfect. And I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. Awesome. Well, Nina, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Was there anything else you want to ask of listeners? I don't think so. I think
1: I I asked a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you again for being on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, do you want to help the oceans? Have you considered a career in marine biology, but maybe just aren't sure where to start? Head on over to my website, marinebio.life and subscribe to my newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free PDF download where you'll learn the seven steps to becoming a marine biologist without the degree. Thank you for listening to today's show. I'd love to hear any insight you've gleaned. Leave a comment in the show notes or send me an email over at marinebio.life. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and of course, share with your friends. If you want more resources for ocean news, including conservation topics and careers, plus personal insight from me that I just don't share anywhere else, join me at marinebio.life and sign up for email updates. Keep after your dreams and making waves in your community. One person can make a difference. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast.